0: Hello, it's 8th of March, 2020, and this is episode 134 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis, and commentary, with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the series. This time, we're joined by Christy. So please introduce yourself, Christy. Hello, it's Christy Carew, a
2: composer, meta-writer, Scavengers Horde fan.
0: Um, Yeah, so um, we've obviously had you on the show before, Christy. I think um, we did a breakdown of the Last Jedi score with you um, back after that movie came out. Um, And yeah, Christy is just the best person to talk to about film music, because that's her job. And she's absolutely brilliant. So you should definitely check out her work. Um, and yeah, I know you've done some really cool Star Wars adjacent projects recently, haven't you? Like you did the music for Looking for Leia, right? Um, would you want to talk about what you've been up to recently? Sure.
2: Um, yeah, Looking for Leia was amazing to um, wrap that up and see it premiere on Sci Fi. So it is still there online. It had an actual TV premiere, but um, you can watch it anytime on the Sci Fi website. And also, it's on YouTube with the comments turned off, of course. <laughs> and, oh, um, God. You know, because you can never can tell with the the Star Wars fandom sometimes. And I actually have two really cool uh, fan works that I'm starting on. One of them is a short film called Shadow of the Mandalorian with some really cool effects. Uh, This really nice young filmmaker that I have started working with who just has an original story set in the Star Wars universe with uh, themes of Mandalorian and Jedi and everything. Um, And then the other one is a Kylo Ren prequel animated series. That is oh, wow. I, I'm really excited about doing animation because I don't have a ton of experience in that genre. But the reason why I love working on these fan projects is that the more I work on developing my voice in the Star Wars musical sandbox, the more experienced I am at that and the more attractive mm. of a candidate to score official Lucasfilm things I become. Because <laughs> awesome. I'm very versatile in using the themes, and you know, using the harmony and the melody and the overall feel of what makes Star Wars music Star Wars. So um, i really like everybody involved with both of these projects, and I'm excited that I've gotten started working on them.
0: Awesome! <laughs> like, is there a release date for um, when people can expect them? Yeah,
2: uh, Shadow of the Mandalorian will be um, on May the fourth, just before the end of um, <laughs> the Clone Wars series and then the kylo ren animated series i think that's going to be being released over the summer
0: awesome wow that's so cool like to think about fan films are animated because like it's one thing to i don't know shoot a bunch of people in a wood running around with um stunt lightsabers which is still very cool and takes a lot um but animation is like that next level of labor and
2: exactly yeah, yeah
0: it's just a lot yeah it's going to be really cool awesome yeah no we look forward to that um yeah so really that is just a complete dearth of any meaningful news <laughs> in the last week um so we're not going to scrape the barrel and try and like find scraps to talk about um so yeah i think we should launch straight into what we're here to discuss which is the music of the rise of skywalker and obviously we haven't really talked to you about the film itself so yeah, obviously, Kirsty and I have both spoken at considerable length <laughs> about our feelings about the movie. And obviously, we have many, many problems of it, aspects of it that we can appreciate it, but still many, many problems. So yeah, do you want to like set the scene a bit with your feelings about the movie? Sure. Yeah, it was definitely a very
2: unique experience for me this time around, the first time that I saw it, because I was lucky enough to get invited to the Lucasfilm Friends and Family screening here in L.A., which was two days before the movie came out and one day after the premiere. So to sit in a theater filled with people who had put so much of their blood, sweat, tears, time, effort, and love into the sequel trilogy as a whole, that was really meaningful for me. And to be just to be in that room and with all the family members and friends that had supported these artists that work on on Star Wars. Um, And it was at El Capitan Theater here in Los Angeles, which I'd never been to. And it's such a beautiful theater. Uh, It was definitely an experience. There's just nothing that compares to sitting down in the theater and seeing that long time ago in a galaxy far far away and just that moment of anticipation right before the music blasts and the you know the opening crawl starts that is such a special experience always will be nothing can match up with it so um, my actual experience of the movie was super super emotional i obviously had heard about leaks and had some sort of hint of, <clears throat> of what could potentially be happening but i had chosen to reserve Belief in the leaks, reserve judgment, reserve anything until I actually got to experience the way the filmmakers intended. So I was coming into it very raw, and I was sobbing, like full body shaking sobs multiple times. And... um, I, the, uh, the girl who was sitting next to me, I had just met that night and, you know, we came from the same part of the fandom. So we were holding hands and clutching each other. And, uh, you know, I, I walked out of it just feeling very drained and very emotionally just, wow, I can't believe it. And also that, that feeling of profound sadness that it's, quote, over, even though I know it's technically not because... Right, Even up at the premiere, Kathleen Kennedy was saying that they're not done with the Skywalkers, that for now it's coming to a close, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's still from loving it since you're a child to have that feeling of that was the last one. That was the 42-year saga wrapped up. My emotions were so complicated and so difficult to process due to that. And I was also trying to stay very cognizant of the fact that this, was, this is literally John Williams's last Star Wars score. To even though Star Wars will continue, it won't be with with John Williams. That to me was so hard to comprehend. So while I'm trying to process the events of the movie, I'm also mourning and grieving, and at, yet at the same time celebrating and experiencing the score. So it was all very, very complicated. And you know, however many months it is later, I don't even know. I'm still trying to process that, and that's kind of been been my my deal.
0: Yeah, no, I feel like Kirsty and I are still processing that too. Really, it's just a lot, and it's yeah, just the finality of it, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I think it was always going to be tough knowing that this was the end. And again, as you say, that there's going to be further stories at some point, even though we don't know when. But yeah, I, a part of me wonders how I'd feel even if it had all ended like happily and well. Obviously, I'd prefer that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I don't want a downer ending. Um, but I think there would have always been that sense of, like, loss and, I don't know, like, that sort of deflated feeling. It's like, it's just so exhilarating when you're at the start of something and, yeah, yeah that excitement after Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Exactly. That's, it was always going to be different. That's the other part of it is that
2: the past four years have been so fun. They've been so, it's been such a wonderful time in the fandom. It's literally been, I can't remember a more fun time you know, even whether that's when the special editions came out or when the prequels came out or anything, like it's this has been the most special time in my fandom, and the friends that I've made and the the people that I've worked with and the opportunities I've gotten, it's just it's all wrapped up in that. So it's just it's been hard to let go. yeah,
0: yep.
1: absolutely. yeah. And that corner of the fandom will continue. It has yeah. been, and there's still amazing yeah. work out there being created. Uh, It's such a joy to see that. And it is definitely helping in the post-Rise of Skywalker time period. It's
2: very healing to know that we go on and the the transformative works go on.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being the last John Williams score, that is kind of hard to process. I think the one thing that's actually really helped me with that is having the Mandalorian a few months ago because I found the score for that. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, we need to talk about um, it. I need
2: to come back and talk about it somewhere because it is such underrated genius. It is such yeah. comp it's actually very complex and he's really doing something cool with the way he's choosing to incorporate leitmotifs. So yeah, I got to come back and talk to you more about that.
0: Yeah. That'd be awesome. So I love what he does. It's so so different from what John Williams does, but It still feels so right for the world. But yeah, that's going to lead us down a whole separate path. And (laughs) we're here to talk about Rosa Skywalker. So, um, yeah, let's move on to talking about the soundtrack specifically. So I just wanted to start off with like broad, general thoughts on how people feel about it like in its own right compared to the other scores and that sort of thing. Um, So I was thinking we could maybe start with you, Kirsty. What is your feeling about the soundtrack?
1: I'm not actually sure okay (laughs) i mean my thoughts aren't very considered because i'm not a a musical person but um i've enjoyed it and i do think there are parts of the movie that it worked really well with but i have got the impression and i don't know this is just how i felt watching the movie because i knew that things had been worked on until the last second in terms of how they were editing things and putting together and even like fundamentals of the story it sounds from interviews that they were they were deciding things pretty late in the game um that i i don't think that things gel as well as they could and that's not a reflection on how i feel about john williams score itself it's in terms of how it complements the movie um which is a bit of a shame for me but um there are parts of I really love. I love Ray's theme so much and I love all of the little variants he does on that. And that, that's continued in this movie. And despite how I personally feel about that final scene, I really love the music, that track, A New Home. Um, I think it actually reflects that bittersweet, uh, almost tragic feel of the movie um, by the end pretty well, even though there are certain visuals that seem kind of incongruous with that. Um, so, So I'm thankful for that.
2: I mean overall it's a masterpiece. It's like what what I really people who are who are prequel score stands they're always saying you know it'll never get better than the prequels. The prequels were always the best score and I say are you kidding me? Like he had 20 years in between those to just grow as a composer as our best living composer, as our most incredible genius of this craft. Like for me the sequel trilogy scores over like pass over everything having to do with the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, because this is him at the peak of his craft. I mean, this he had an extra 20 years to work on developing what an incredible genius he is within, this, within all of music, but especially within the world of Star Wars. So to me, when I listened to the score, I could tell that he was having the time of his life writing it. There are so many cool things, so many interesting orchestrations and rhythmic things and ways he develops things that harken back to the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And there are certain styles that link the scores together, but he's really just digging in and exploring and really connecting emotionally with the inner worlds of these characters, as well as all the incredible work that he does highlighting the action and the visuals. So there's just nobody doing it like him to do both of those things so effectively. And when you listen to the score on its own, there's every every phrase, every measure, every bar is worthy of deep analysis and, and looking into and really just obsessing over. And for me, as, as you mentioned, The Last Jedi... I think that I need to spend a lot more time with Rise of Skywalker score before I can say definitively, simply because I've spent so much time with The Last Jedi and I've seen it more than any other movie I've ever seen in my life. It's it's naturally, I just know so much more about that. So the more once the Rise of Skywalker comes out on digital Blu-ray DVD, then I'm obviously going to spend a lot more time watching it and I'll be able to draw more conclusions after that. But just as it stands on its own, it is him working at the peak of his craft and abilities. And it is incredible to listen to and incredible to sit back and watch. And the more I watch the film, the more I'll be able to comment on how the music actually you know, works with the story and the narrative and the characters and, and everything that we're seeing.
1: I was quite surprised by the emotional honesty of the score. Like I said, there were, there were parts of the movie that I found genuinely tragic, but I couldn't quite I'm not sure that that was totally the intent from J.J. Ontario, um, but I felt that with John Williams' score, Um, so I I know we'll talk about things more specifically, but there are parts, there are interactions between Kylo Ren and Ray that feel, I don't know, really somber and intense Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. naked almost, and... um, yeah, that that surprised me.
2: And I think that has it has a lot to do with you know the choices that he makes in those scenes, and we know that in, even in the Last Jedi there were choices that he wanted to make when it came to the two of them. That Ryan was like, actually, you know, I want you to change that because this is I want I want everyone to see this love story. I want everyone to see this from the young woman's point of view. There are certain ways that John Williams feels about the character of Ray, and there's a certain protectiveness, and there's. Um, a, a way that the tension between Kylo Ren and Rey and then versus Ben Solo and Rey, there's a beautiful way that John Williams reflects that. So it's it's definitely supposed to keep us on the edge of our seats when it comes to their relationship in this movie.
0: Yeah, like I really, really like this score. I think independently as a piece of work, it's really quite outstanding. Um, and I'd say, especially in the second half, so I find the first half, like there's just lots of old material, there's lots of reused cues and themes and stuff. And it's fine and good, but it becomes really extraordinary to me around the time you get that encounter between Rey and Kylo Ren in the hangar not on the Star Destroyer. I, I Obviously, I hate what happens and what's revealed in that scene, but I think visually and musically, that's an amazing scene. And there's just this wonderful like dialogue going on there, and I'm going to shut up now about that specifically, otherwise I'll get into what we're going to talk about properly later. Um, and yeah, I, I was just really struck by how ethereal and melancholy it sounded like overall as a piece of work. It did feel like a late stage like masterpiece to me, like for a composer. It sounded very elegiac which is the pronunciation that Christy just gave me. So thank you, Christy. This is
2: the, you know, his ninth symphony. A lot of people, a lot of composers are done after their ninth symphony. You know, the famous Mahler's 10th symphony is unfinished because, you know, he passed. This is our our last symphony and incredible work in this realm from this composer. So I think that all of those qualities and characteristics that you're picking up on are definitely appropriate from, from this standpoint, yeah.
0: So at the moment, this is very biased to the pieces that I had something to say about, um, because I essentially prepared these notes and then um, Christy came in and built on them. But yeah, if there are any specific tracks or anything that people would like to talk about, please, please say, because, yeah, I obviously want us all to. Get our voices heard um, and a very important distinction i want to draw is there's basically two different versions of the soundtrack that are floating around one is the official released soundtrack that you can get on cd and the other is the for your consideration soundtrack yep. which from my understanding and jumping christy if i'm getting this wrong but my understanding is that the for your consideration soundtrack much more closely reflects the soundtrack of the movie as it's released Because it's essentially a soundtrack that the Academy members listen to when they're making a decision on what to nominate. So it has to be reflective of what's in the movie. Um, And what I really listened to when making my notes was the For Your Consideration soundtrack rather than the officially released soundtrack. Because... The official soundtrack, I, I just don't like it as much. And to me, it emits some of the best parts of the score as it's heard in the movie. So, yeah, for me, I'll choose the FYC every time. I agree. The FYC,
2: um, every step along the way, I've had a friend you know, who has access to it compile it and send it to me. So I have the FYC for the other sequel trilogy films as well. And then somehow for The Last Jedi, I ended up with even more From that I don't know how my friend got his hands on on like pretty much everything that they recorded for The Last Jedi but um yeah the FYC is always going to include things that are not on the OST and that are pretty integral to analyzing the score as a whole so I also prefer to listen to the FYC and it has a lot more really great stuff in here
1: yeah am I right in saying that the FYC Unlike the official soundtrack, that has that like swelling redeemed Ben Solo major key stuff when they get to Exegol. That, um, I don't think is on the official soundtrack in the same way. Is that right? Um,
2: I think that that is, uh, coming together, Rescue. Yeah, Rescue is the one I think you're thinking of, and that is on the uh, FYC and not on the OST.
1: Yeah, I. Why do you think that is? Because that seems to me a really important thing.
2: Well, there's things on The Last Jedi, too, that are extremely important and aren't included on the OST. Like, famously, the scene changes from Ray in the mirror, at the, at the cave mirror, and then it immediately segues into her confronting Luke out in the rain. And it skips over the entire hand-touch scene. So that's when you saw all these people tagging me on Twitter in their edits where they had taken the OST and laid it over the scene and said, look, listen, listen to the hand-touch scene. This is the music during the hand-touch scene. And I had to say over and over again, no, it's not. They skipped over that. Like, you guys, that music is from Ray and Luke arguing and fighting in the rain like when he's lying on the ground looking up at her so um they i don't know who makes the decision on what to include and what to omit um but this has been going on for quite a while in in these type of score releases where sometimes the meatiest juiciest best parts of it are are left off yeah
0: is there any music in the first half that really stands out for people or that people would like to discuss I think I'm going to talk about this in very vague terms I don't actually have it in the notes so you'll have to forgive me Um, but I do remember there's and it's a recurring theme so you'll probably know it when i describe it christy um but there's that moment in the forest very early on in the film where ray is just about to leave to go to Pisana with finn and poe and she's looking out really wistfully and there's just this really beautiful melody and it keeps on coming back again and again could you talk a bit about that yeah so that is i'm looking
2: actually on frank's Frank Lehman's um, encyclopedia, the complete catalog of the musical themes of Star Wars. We can maybe link to that. I think we've done that before. So this is kind of whenever I'm referring to any of the themes in the sequel trilogy, I'm using Frank's names for them simply because he is the world's foremost John Williams slash Star Wars scholar. And now I'm proud to say a friend of mine. I've gotten to know him very well over the past couple of years. So He takes this theme and divides it. It's it's technically called the Rise of Skywalker theme. And it's divided into one theme that he refers to as friendship and one theme that he refers to as victory. So I'll send you um, this PDF so you can check it out. But the one that you're thinking of and that you're hearing is technically the quote friendship theme um, that comes back again. And this was actually a theme that I first heard on the FYC when it leaked a couple days before the movie came out and to me when i when i first heard this theme i felt that it had many characteristics harmonically and melodically that made me believe it could have been a love theme so it's very it's a really has a lot of hallmarks of john williams's very particular style in writing these beautiful grand sweeping themes and i'm working on a meta that explains why i felt that way but i definitely think that out of all of the new, we're going to talk about this in a bit, but out of all of the new themes that are introduced in Rise of Skywalker, I do believe that the evil one, the anthem of evil, is actually the more memorable. But that this Rise of Skywalker theme is gorgeous and beautiful and it is such a lovely addition to the the overall group of, of sequel trilogy themes. And every time it comes back, it has just this really beautiful harmonic structure underlying it with the chord changes. It's very evocative, it's very emotional, it's has it's kind of tragic actually in a way, the way that the harmony shifts and um yeah, that's that's the one that you're hearing.
0: Yeah. No, so I think that scene in itself, it's so odd because you're like, what is she thinking? I don't understand. So you sort of like resort to the music to try and get a handle on what's what we're actually meant to be taking from that scene. And the music's very like, enigmatic again, which is a word I'm going to use a lot in this conversation, and just sad and bittersweet. And at the time, you're like, but why, though? (laughs) Um, And, yeah, like, I feel like, as the viewer, I sort of insert into that, like, melancholy about Ben, because the only thought process that I could have is, well, we've been shown, through confusing editing, but we have been shown that they've had this sort of forced connection there, Is she like thinking like sad thoughts about, oh, what a shame that he's like he is?
1: I've only seen it a handful of times, but I think at that moment you can see that she's looking towards the red ribbon in the tree. So she's maybe reflecting on her frustrations with her training. Which is probably tied into the shared vision that she had with Ben. But you're right. It's very vague. And, and especially ambitious.
2: because there is a moment later where he's very explicit that she's thinking about Ben. There's, you know, when she and Finn are having their conversation, you know, I'm afraid no one knows me. And we didn't we didn't get but I do. We get that in the novel. We didn't get it in the movie. But in the music, you hear Kylo Ren's theme in that moment. So they, he's pretty explicit in some parts that she's thinking about him or that his presence is there or that their connection is there at that moment. And then there's other times when it's more enigmatic, as you said. So it's definitely kind of goes back and forth between how explicit the music is in suggesting these things.
0: Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah so in terms of the tracks i'm most interested in the first one is the one that i started talking about before i stopped myself um which is join me um which is what you sort of get when ben is appealing to ray to join him while they're performing that strange dance on the star destroyer so it really is a dance and I, i kind of like that it's corny but i like it um and yeah i think musically this is really interesting um So, yeah, could you describe what's going on there, Christy? Yeah, there's
2: probably when you, right when you first start listening to it, you're hearing hearing these really beautiful strings in the upper register using harmonics. Um, And the voice leading is really interesting. When I say voice leading, I'm meaning the ways that the melody and the counter melody and the harmony are all interacting with each other. When you're first being taught composition as a, you know, beginning music student, One of the things that they teach you first is proper voice leading in terms of Bach era counterpoint and fugue, and you have to know these things and know how to do them before you can branch off from that and write your own music and do whatever you want, right? So you have to understand the fundamentals of Western music and how these things are done. Then, once you are adept in this and you are composing your own music, you can use this as a foundation to to then jump off from so in this scene I can sense that John Williams is just relishing in his role as the master of his craft. It is so intricate yet it is so simple and naked and vulnerable as you said. It's very either the dissonance that's happening there is something that he's been doing between in this relationship between these two characters from the beginning. Really hammering home the dissonance and the unease and how uncomfortable that makes you feel so that when they are in sync and when they are acting together as the dyad and it resolves and it's consonant, it, you really feel that in your soul because he has developed the dissonance to such an extreme degree while they are antagonists. So within this scene, when the brass comes in and it's like really thunderous and powerful, he's just hammering home the fact that when they are at odds with each other, it is really not a great vibe. I mean, it's great in terms of drama and tragedy and star-crossed lovers and everything, but it's really hammering home that when they are aligned, how powerful and beautiful that is. And when that resolves, that tension just melts away and you feel just absolutely glorious about it. The other thing about this piece is that it really gives me prequel vibes. There's a couple moments where its I feel like it's hearkening back to the mysterious scenes in Attack of the Clones when Obi-Wan's trying to solve this whole mystery. Um, There's a lot of similar orchestration and instrumentation happening there for me. And around 1.45 in this queue, you do hear the Anthem of Evil. Which, as I mentioned before, is what what I think is probably the most memorable new theme from The Rise of Skywalker. Which, again, you never expected that the the new evil theme would be the one that sticks with you the most. Um, And the one that kind of like resonates the most after the movie is done. Um, But it's just another example of a dark side theme that John Williams writes that contains a tritone. The tritone is the most dissonant interval in Western music, and it's always used to represent evil conflict. It was referred to as the devil's interval back in the time when polyphonic music was being developed. So it's another example of that. And then, as you mentioned, Ray's theme and all the different ways that he develops it and states it in this movie. I love this... this, instrumentation of her theme in this cue it's very harsh on the brass and we so rarely hear Ray's theme in brass that uh it feels very important and powerful in that moment as she's wrestling with this information that she's getting so yeah it's really cool
0: yeah no and I, I also like it because even though musically he represents each character with such a different style of mu- music I do still get this sense of like longing like you sort of get the sense of they're like inclining into each other even though they can't quite meld at the moment um because yeah that's that whole like bittersweet aspect yeah there's a push and
2: pull and i mean in the novelization she describes it as ray's body canting towards him right so you know you you (laughs) can feel the canting you can feel this very pull and push and just like being drawn to each other and then pushed away and it's it's very well done as as we would expect from him
1: yeah, in that sense, it kind of reminded me of Padme's Ruminations yes. um, in that there's so much unsaid and unspoken between these characters, but they're still so And connected. the music
0: is saying it for us there, yeah. Uh, yep, so then we progress a little and we go from the fight on the Death Star, which, and actually I do want to briefly mention that piece of music because it's very... Like stock action music as you'd expect from a lightsaber jewel up until the moment when Leia comes in and that is just so otherworldly like you really get a sense of her speaking through the music um, which yeah it's very emotive and powerful would you like to talk about that a little bit Chris? yeah
2: um, this one as I listen to it it gives me a very distinct vibe from The Last Jedi especially from Peace and Purpose um, again, there is incredible, stunning string writing happening in this queue. And as you mentioned, when Leia's theme comes in, I hear a very understated suggestion of Ben Solo's theme, the redeemed Ben Solo theme underneath in the cellos. Listen to it again and tell me if you hear that. It's not his fully developed theme, but it's the outline of it underneath Leia's theme. And Oh, that's really cool. I like yeah, that. It's really cool. You can hear that the musical embodiment of Leia is pulling the lightness out of him up into the reality. So that, for me, that is one of the most powerful moments of the score. And there's been many other instances. I'm thinking of The Last Jedi when he's in his, his ship and he's wanting to fire on her and he has his thumb on the button and they're having that forced connection moment and it's Leia's theme but underneath is this dissonance underneath is this wrongness of how this moment shouldn't be happening between mother and son like we shouldn't they shouldn't be in this position right so i thought that it was cool that in the next movie they develop this into her ha- exerting this influence and effect on him it's not just that she distracts him and he turns his head and ray stabs him it's not just that it's it's she's directly calling to Ben Solo within Kylo Ren
0: yeah and I think that felt extra like important because obviously Carrie doesn't have that voice because obviously she passed away. So it's really important that the music can give her a voice back in yep, that way. Yeah, and I think
2: that it's, it's a really beautiful um, orchestration in that moment too. It's, um, the arrangement is very cool with the woodwinds. Uh, the flute is very low in the register. Um, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous
0: yeah so let's talk about healing wounds like that for me is easily one of my highlights from the whole soundtrack it's just really really fantastic Yeah, it's beautiful um and yeah it's just everything i love in music it's all that angst all that beauty and then of course that healing element as well that you'd expect from the name of the queue um yeah can i pass over to you christy to do your excellent job of encapsulating why it works (laughs) why the actual like musically why it works Yes. Yeah. See, that's
2: one thing that when I'm able to watch the movie over and over again and talk more about pinpointing exactly why at this moment it changes to this orchestration, that's what I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to doing because you do hear while she's healing him. Do you remember hearing those little chimes, those little magical Bing, ding, ding, ding. Yes. It, al- it yes. almost feels like a synth patch. And John Williams definitely uses synths here and there when he needs to. Actually, I was having a discussion about the Mandalorian score last week where I read in an interview that Ludwig had listened to John Williams' score Earthquake um, before working on The Mandalorian, and that is this amazing 70s era Williams score that uses quite a lot of synths. So he's not adverse to it. He's been using them since the 70s. So it it wouldn't surprise me if that actually is an electronic patch to represent the otherworldliness of this moment. So one of the things that I don't feel is really delved into very much within the story of The Rise of Skywalker is that traditionally, saving people from death was associated with this thing that only dark side people knew. And it was a skill that you couldn't learn from a Jedi. Right. And then in this movie, we see both Ben and Ray do it. They save each other from, you know, Ray literally is saved from death and Ben is saved from the brink of death. So the fact that this Mm. is something that we haven't seen on screen in Star Wars before yet, he needed to bring something in that would give you this feeling of, wow, this is something really different. So that's why once I can watch it and listen to it a whole bunch more, I'd really be interested to know if he did use a synth patch in that moment or if it's a really cool way of recording instruments and then processing them to make it sound very magical and sparkly the way it does in that moment. But I love that and it gave me chills in the theater even though they had very heavily foreshadowed it when she heals the snake and we you know we understood that she has those powers. Um, I just I love that moment. I love the acting on Adam's part, um, and on Daisy's part as well. I mean they're just they're very connected to each other, but the 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 emotions that cross his face and the whole inner process of his thoughts are so plain on his face. And when he's just sitting there slumped mm-hmm. over looking down and she comes over and performs this magical miracle. It's it's a really beautiful moment and I think the score reflects that.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments in yeah. the movie too. It's it feels very Cambellian mm. in the the wound is the wound of my passion and her healing him. Um, it's on the nose, but I think in a good way. Oh yeah, way. I'll
2: take that. Like I'll take any of the the Cambellian and Jungian aspects. Like put it on the nose as much as you want. I live for that. That's why I love Star Wars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I think That's a really good point about how musically it makes it clear that that is such a good act. Mm-hmm. And that is such a beautiful, praiseworthy thing. Um, Because, yeah, I've always been slightly confounded and resistant to the suggestion in some of these, you know, encyclopedias that classify force powers and stuff. But they've suggested that the force bond between Rey and Kylo is like a dark side power or somehow like a sinister Yeah, I don't like that either. Because, yeah, I've never got that from the movies themselves and especially not musically. Mm -hmm. I feel that it's always framed like at least is something that's morally ambivalent. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely, if ever, framed as something that's actively bad. And as it develops and reaches its fulfilment in the Rise of Skywalker, I feel like that union between them, it obviously becomes an actively good thing. Yep. And you don't get more good than when you get the tinkly little chimes and stuff. Exactly. And yeah, it sounds like something from a Disney movie. And yeah. And obviously, Star Wars is Disney now, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like Disney animated cartoons. And yeah, it's just beautiful. And in,
2: in The Last Jedi, you know, a lot of the beginning Force Bond scenes between them obviously have this element of kind of seduction in them. And there's quite a lot of work on the bassoon. The, I had actually talked with the principal bassoon player who worked on all of these movies when we had our orchestration session um, early on in the workshop I did last year. And I told her how I had noticed her excellent bassoon playing and all those four spawn scenes and how it was kind of supposed to represent the uh, seductive snake element of Kylo being this, I don't like not what's the male version of a temptress like this, this, tempter this this sexy male emo you know honeypot as they called Kylo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Well we've we talked before about the similarities with like a paradise yes, lost yes satan satan figure and that's obviously with the snake imagery too
2: he's this lucifer fallen angel beautiful thing you know and the bassoon is is figured so heavily in those in those four spawn scenes in the last jedi And then as we're getting into The Rise of Skywalker, so many of them are on the strings, and it's this very tangled, intricate, heart-wrenching string writing. So the music of the Force Bonds isn't, that's another meta I should write, honestly. It evolves quite a lot over the course of these two movies, um, until the last time that it happens, their last Force Bond, you know, when when she sees him, she's about to give in to this evil. She's about to, you know, as Palpatine says, complete the sacrifice. She's about to you know, completely annihilate herself into this and then that last force bond kicks in and they see each other and the music again does something absolutely marvelous and tinkly and sparkly. Um, You know, that's that's really significant that as their relationship develops and as these force bonds develop, the music is kind of charting that journey. It's no longer about this sexy temptation of, you know, with her dark side and everything. Everything is becoming integrated and, and resolved and they are really establishing that they are a true dyad and that they've always been linked and they always will be
0: yeah and then we transition very smoothly from healing wounds into advice which oh god is so good and obviously that scene is just so emotive with um ben speaking to his father and or at least his memory of his father so really he's speaking to himself but it's what it comes across as in the film. Um, And, yeah, I just love this music. It's really... It feels, like, heavy, you know? It it acknowledges the fact that Kylo rendered something very bad, that he killed his father. But it also really does have that flavour of wisdom being passed down and, like, this developing understanding in Ben. And, yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk about how that's functioning musically to create that feeling. Yeah, this is...
2: What he accomplishes in this moment is very hard to do. A lot of people would go way too heavy handed in this scene, or it's possible to go too light. He strikes a balance that is absolutely perfect. Again, it's that detailed, intricate, heart wrenching string writing that's pretty much a hallmark of this score, and where you can tell he's just loving writing this. I, both times that I saw it, I was sobbing so hard during this scene, like complete breakdown because ever since I was a kid, Han Solo was my favorite along with princess Leia. So of course their child became my, my new all time favorite, but there's something about Han. Every time I come back and watch the original trilogy, every time I watch solo, like he's just such one of the absolute best, most beloved star Wars characters. And I was on the Han lives train forever. I was on it since the first time it was suggested. Um, And so to see it actually manifest and to see Harrison actually come back a second time after all his protestations that he was done with Star Wars and didn't want to be a part of it anymore, to know that he came back because of how beneficial this scene would be for the character of Ben Solo and bringing him back. Um, The music is operating. What I really want to do is write a meta comparing this to Torn Apart comparing advice to torn apart and seeing the similarities and the differences. And advice is definitely more understated than torn apart, and it leaves room for the performances in this really amazing way. And I was listening to it on YouTube earlier today, and at the moment where he finally feels that resolve bubble up in him and he turns and he tosses the lightsaber, somebody commented, this is the anthem for anyone trying to get rid of a negative influence in their life. The way that the brass builds up in that moment and the way that you just feel the range of his motion as he turns and hurls that thing as far away from him. I, I was kind of on the train where I would have preferred to see him heal that crystal and I would have preferred to see him use that lightsaber as after he had healed it and, and had it still be a part of him. But I did also really love the symbolism of tossing it aside, the same weapon that had committed this terrible act and many others, that it wasn't going to be part of him at all and throwing it away. The way that the music built up to that moment, it didn't overwhelm their dialogue. It didn't overwhelm their performances. It supports it in an incredibly complex way that is still very stark and naked and vulnerable. And he's accomplishing that simply through the way that he's doing that string writing, where it's weaving in in with each other and the harmony is supporting it in such a way that it's there, it's present in your mind, but it's not taking away from what you're seeing and hearing in their words and experiencing emotionally.
0: No, it's really powerful stuff. And yeah, it's, I think, as you say, it's like pitched just right, because it's understated where it still lets you feel all those emotions on the actors' faces. It's not about forcing emotion on you because all the emotion is there in those performances. It just really accentuates it and, yeah, just drives it home that bit further. Yeah, that's
2: what he does so well. That's what uh, all composers are trying to do. I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to not tell you how to feel. I'm trying to see what the director was going for and what the performance is and the writing. And I'm trying to enhance that. I'm trying to bring an element that you can't see and can't hear in the dialogue, but that is flowing with all those other elements perfectly and not pushing it too hard, but not being too faint. It's such a fine balance to strike. And the only way to get it is through just doing it over and over again in repetition of learning how to write for scenes like this. And I guarantee you for J-dubs, this was just as easy as... You know, getting up out of bed in the morning and walking over and pouring a cup of coffee. This has become such a extension of him that even a scene as complicated and important and nuanced as this, like, I'm sure, it flowed from him in such a way that only comes from being at the mastery of your craft that he is.
0: Okay, awesome. I, I actually have it in my notes that the Ben solo theme that we all love and appreciate so much, um, is actually in the final third of Parents, that track um so yeah like that theme i think if i recall correctly it starts off very ominous um because it's rave of palpatine and obviously (laughs) the exposition of doom um and yeah it's lovely because of how hopeless it is how utterly hopeless and then you just have this pure burst of adrenaline and hope that is this redeemed ben solo theme and yeah, I just love yeah, it. it's so perfect. I describe this theme
2: as life itself. It is everything. It is, you know, a lot of people were hoping for a brand new wholly original Ben Solo theme. But the more I think about this, and the more I hear it, and the more when he gave his interview with Jim Schwede, and explained his reasoning behind it, the more it feels so right. And the way that it rises continually, da 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 da, that it goes up, it keeps rising. Every time we hear it, it rises and rises, and that's representing the fact that he is rising. That's why when I heard the title of this movie, I mean, you guys have seen my reaction to that trailer. It actually went semi-viral because I was laughing hysterically and just out of my mind with joy when I saw that title. Because to me, I thought it was one hundred percent Ben. I was like, "That's him." that's him. I'm not trying to take anything away from Ray as a character, as the protagonist of the sequel trilogy, but I just, I saw that and I immediately said, that's got to be him. And so to me, this theme elevating that way and rising and bringing him up and taking him back into the light, it's so poetic. And I think I might like it better
0: than even if I'd gotten an original Ben Solo theme. Like, How do you feel about this theme, Kirsty?
1: Um- I love it, but I'm greedy and I would have liked both. <laughs> both. both? is
0: good, yeah. Why not both? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I understand. Um, Yeah, I, I do like the poetry yeah. of it being, being a redeemed version because his theme is so iconic, so we've heard it so many times. But o- over time, of course, and especially like once you get to TLJ and it, it continues in Tross, and I think it's meant to be a commentary on how Kylo Ren is a persona or like a figurehead of the First Order, but it's not really relevant to the character himself yes. and this is like maybe the true yes. form of it that was always there underneath oh my
2: god that is so um, true because so many times like especially at the beginning of the last Jedi when the first order ships show up you hear his bad guy theme even though he's not he's not in that scene at all so you're right it's it's it kind of is just a catch-all at certain points and that is very poetic that they, that act that theme can function that way because it doesn't represent who he truly is
1: yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Imperial March, and then with Vader's Redemption at the end of Return of the Jedi, we get that really, like, low key mm-hmm. <clears throat> version. Yeah, of it, and that's the same um, which is the
2: same um, music that is then used when Rey enters the Death Star throne room we hear that exact same arrangement from when Luke is is taking Vader's helmet off and seeing his father's face for the first time. Um, They do use that exact recording and that exact cue when she's first walking into that throne room. So that's one of the moments where I was, I was a little bit taken out of the story by hearing that. Um, I was, because for me, that cue and that scene of return of the jedi is only itself it can own that is only that scene and that music is only tied to that scene forever emotionally for me from seeing that when i was six years old in 1988 like it's it's hard for me to hear that music in a different context so there's a couple of times during the film where there are kind of these what we call needle drops where a pre-existing piece of music is put into the film at certain places where it makes sense to the filmmaker to have them happen and so um jj the editors the music editor for them that felt right in that moment and i can see why they why they tied it in but that was just an example of one moment that kind of lifted me out a little bit and i needed to re-engage and get back into the flow of what was
0: happening there so yeah so i feel like that's almost a bit too on the nose isn't it like because it's basically telling you this is a place where redemption happens um, which is obviously saying Ben's going to get redeemed, guys. Um, but yeah, you they probably didn't need to be quite so obvious about it. But hey-ho. <laughs>
1: It I think That's the that that thing. must have
0: been I think that was just probably a scheduling thing it was
2: probably uh, you know because we do we do know it's not a secret that it was being edited a lot right up you know till the last minute so it might have just been one of those choices that needed to happen while they were figuring out the entire flow of that part of the movie so
0: yeah <sighs> okay so are we ready to discuss farewell guys oh my god oh my god Okay, it's fine if anyone needs a tea break. Oh. Need to take a deep breath. It's very, very painful to listen yes. to this music. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Like, for me, this is my favorite track from the whole thing. Maybe I like Pain. Um, but I just do think it's so beautiful there's just so much drama inherent in it as a piece of music which again is inevitable because it's the music for a very dramatic scene where there's lots of very big things happening in a short space of time, so it's what you'd expect in that way um and yeah, for me it's just this complete emotional roller coaster of a piece of music, basically. Because you go from the despair of Ray being found dead to like Ray being brought back to life by Ben, and then the tragedy of Ben dying. quote, I hope I hope you used quote marks when you said dying. <laughs> okay, I'll say that again. dying. <laughs> um, that time I definitely used quote marks. Um, and then you have this like complete total shift to Yay, we're all okay, we're all gonna go and reunite and I'm kind mm-hmm. of like F you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but again, that's not a problem with the music because the music is just being faithful to what's happening on screen it just goes back to my criticism of the fact that why is there no acknowledgement of the fact that this is a tragedy why is there no catharsis because yeah I know that John Williams would have been completely capable of giving that sort of catharsis musically and yeah as much as I love this track I also feel a bit like robbed you know (laughs) and there's one of the things
2: that Frank pointed out that made me that brought me a lot of peace and brought me a lot of like healing on this track, um, is that there is a motif that happens when Ben and Ray kiss that also is present at the end of the Rise of Skywalker concert piece. So the second measure phrase phrase of that kiss music is an upwards, partially inverted form of Kylo Ren's redeemed leitmotif. And it's, I'll, I'll have to send you the link of his tweets where he laid this all out. But it's just this beautiful little motif that happens both when they kiss and at the end of this concert piece. And Frank says, it's meaningful that Williams is clearly employing similar musical terms for the end of the very last concert piece from nine star Wars movies. And for this short moment of love between Ben and Ray, I think it's significant that he's wrapping up the entire nine movie arc quoting this moment of them kissing and having this romantic connection. And this little motif can be considered along with other musical moments to be their theme together. Did we get a fully fledged romantic love theme a la Han Solo, the Princess and Across the Stars or even um, Lando's Closet? We did not, we did, we did not get that, right? And it was something that we had been longing for. However, there are many moments that are musically belonging to Ben and Ray, and this is one of them. So as soon as he pointed that out, and I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking about the significance that Williams places on it, I felt a lot better. I felt like, okay, so he is clearly saying here that this is one of the most important parts of the entire nine movie saga. And the fact that they came together in this way, he did give them a motif that is theirs and theirs alone. And that made me feel a lot better.
0: No, like, I do really love how unequivocally, like, positive and celebratory it is when we finally get them together, like, that you just feel this, like, palpable relief in the music, the fact that after all this, like, tension and this constant, like, interplay and, like, this these forces pulling them apart, all of that has gone now. And you just really feel that through the music. It just feels so free and so pure and beautiful. And yeah, I just love it. And I think that
2: it, it's also significant that the entire concert piece ends this way with their music, their little motif. Um, because I, I, do, I do sincerely, I'm not just riding around in a clown car with clown makeup on. I, I do legitimately think it's not done. I do legitimately think he's coming back and I do legitimately think that their story is not over. So to me, this is another way that it is left open. It's another way that it is left saying there's more. Should they choose to go this way, there is more to tell. And there is more to develop between them. And there's more music to hear of their union and their relationship and any of the adventures that are to come when Ray goes and gets him from wherever he currently is. So it's, I think that that gave me hope as well.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's important to stay positive and hopeful because, yeah, we're only a few months out from the movie, so anything could happen exactly exactly and it's not like we have
2: not like everybody who is a star wars fan for a long time has not experienced these times when we weren't getting any new content like that's pretty much never going to happen again like i try to explain to people what it was like in between the end of the original trilogy and waiting for the prequels to come out and just reading novels and not having any new visual content coming out um you know we're always going to have new Star Wars visual content now that Disney is in charge of this property. We're always going to have animated series, we're going to have the Mandalorian, the the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, like there's never going to be this big Darth of of waiting for something. So we might have a while to wait for these characters. But it's probably not going to be as long as it was between waiting to see Han and Luke and Leia again.
1: No, I think that's a reasonable hope, definitely. (laughs) To me, that um, soaring moment when he heals her before they kiss is kind of a bookend from the soaring Romeo and Juliet yeah. style music when he, when he adopts her, her in yeah. The Force Awakens, yeah. and the music
2: right right before they kiss. Like in the in the first screening, I was clutching that girl's hand and sitting forward and weeping and not knowing what was going to happen. The second time was in a theater completely filled with Raylos. Um, I believe there were two men in that theater, one. One my friend Brian and one my friend Jade's boyfriend and we the four of us were sitting in a row and I knew what was coming but nobody else in that theater some of them knew some of them had read leaks some of them were totally unspoiled and the way the music builds up in that moment there was this everyone in the theater all of a sudden you hear what oh my god is it happening is it about to happen. But like all of these voices started breaking out all around us, and the way the music swells and swirls and the camera, the cameras moving in on them. And then finally it happens and, you know, raise the one that instigates it, the shout that emanated from that theater and the vindication and the, the glory of that moment. Like the music is such a huge part of that because he builds up to it so perfectly. And like you said, there's a relief, there's a palpable melting away of all tension. And there's this beauty. It's just such consonance and harmony and beauty. And that was very satisfying to experience in that room with those people, with those fans. Because it was so many years of knowing that this is where the story was going and all everything that happened <laughs> when, when we said that. And then seeing it come to fruition and understanding that this was the way that it was supposed to be all along. That was a really glorious moment and I was really happy to experience it in the two different ways that I did.
0: Yeah, so that really brings us to the final track um, on the soundtrack, which is A New Home. Um, and I really like this um, as a piece of music. It's obviously v- very beautiful music, but it's very hard for me to disassociate <laughs> this piece of music from what's actually happening. Um, so I don't really have many like developed thoughts on it. So yeah, I was wondering if like, either Kirstie or Christy would like to take the lead with talking about this one.
1: Well, my impressions are just about like the mood that it creates, which I I, I do appreciate that from John Williams because, like you, it's not my favourite scene in the movie. But I think it's very beautiful. Um, it's quite brief, and it just sets this kind of bittersweet end to the saga, which is not what I was hoping for, but um, it, it, he, he does it beautifully. It's very mysterious.
2: Yeah. Again, enigmatic is... A really perfect way to describe it. And the way that Ray's theme comes in, again, we hear it in the flute and chimes the way that we originally heard it. It is, you know, emphasizing that idea of full circle, even though within this context, Ray did not sit in the theater and watch um, A New Hope. She didn't watch the original trilogy. She didn't, you know, <laughs> she's not experiencing what the audience is experiencing going back to Tatooine and the Lars homestead. But the the end at the end of this movie does feel very intriguing and mysterious and open-ended to me and that's another thing that gives me hope that's another thing like I'm just coming to the end of the queue here the way that the harp and the chimes and everything it's absolutely the low strings down here oh it is I'm just listening to it right now it is really really interesting and intriguing that this is the way that it ends and it almost just fades away. Of course, we get the final, you know, the credits and everything. But to me, that is saying, what's going to happen next? What's next for Ray? When are we yeah. going to see her again? Like, when, what's she going to go do?
0: Where's Ben? And the very final shot of the film really yeah. feeds into that, doesn't yeah. it? So it's obviously Ray looking out onto the horizon, which is the start of a journey. Yeah, she's
2: not staying there.
0: Rather than the ending. She's
2: not staying there. I, I, th- I think that A New Home, that title has to have multiple meanings it has to have multiple layers and even if even if we look at it from where ben is maybe he's in a new home right now but that's not where he's going to stay either like to me this this ending with this musical vibe is very telling this is not the end and even john williams leaving it this way the way it just kind of fades away he's leaving it for his successor to pick up and where he left off
1: I think that's what I'm having a bit of a hard time with. And I think that's true for a lot of fans that um, people who love this love it for almost the same reasons that it promises a new beginning for Ray, and that her story is just beginning. And yet as told, this is the end of her story. And it was heavily marketed as the final movie in this saga. So it's just a bit discordant and I'm, I'm not sure how to feel about it. And I, I wonder if that's partly the intention that it's meant to be the unknown.
2: I'll, I'll say one thing real quick, um, just about the way that he did change Ben's theme. Um, you know, there are always, it's not just that the Ben Solo redeemed theme isn't a major key. The tritone, which was the original dissonant interval, that is resolved. Um, and the tritone originally functioned in his theme as restless, unstable, dissonant, representative of evil. The fact that that interval resolves to a perfect fifth. Perfect intervals are considered the basis of harmony and their overtones ring out together in a way that other intervals do not. Besides the unison and the octave, the perfect fifth is considered the most consonant interval, and the definition of consonance is in agreement or harmony with, consistent with, in accordant with, compatible with. The wavelengths of the two notes at a perfect fifth interval form simple mathematical ratios that correspond to consonance and stability. They represent tonality. They represent home. And when more unstable intervals resolve to perfect intervals, we unconsciously feel a profound sense of relief that things are right again. That's what he did with Ben's theme. When he, when he resolves that tritone to a perfect fifth, he brings us that relief and that sense of home. And that's another reason why it hits so powerfully when it happens.
0: Yeah, no, that feels completely accurate to how it feels just to hear that piece of music. It's just that good
2: (laughs) i do i do one of the other questions that you had um about the new themes and um how we think that the music is going to function as a whole going forward i do want to come back and answer those though because those are really good questions
0: yeah well we'll have to have you back on for the mandalorian and then we can also like plug in a extra like sequel trilogy soundtrack okay um discussion on there so awesome Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming thank on the show. Thank you so much and, for having me. Yeah. I'm
2: sorry, I have to um, leave it there, but we'll come back and, and finish it up.
1: Yeah, no thank worries. Thank you, Christy.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, do you want to say where people can find you, Christy? Yes,
2: it's uh, Christy underscore Carew t- on Twitter, and then enjoy all need nothing dash blog on Tumblr. And I am going to be updating that with some new metas in the weeks coming forward. And I'll be announcing on my Twitter those other uh, fan projects that I mentioned.
1: Oh, exciting. Oh, yeah. And we'll retweet awesome, those definitely. Very excited for those. Especially the yeah. Kylo one. I'll, I'll send you guys some
2: <laughs> of the art that's being developed right now for the animation. And just to get you a little excited, I'll send that to you.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thank that's you. That's awesome. So, yeah, I will just do the sign offs. Um, so, I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr.
1: I'm Kirsty, and you can find me at Basil Bay on Tumblr.
0: And you've already heard where you can find Christy. Um, so yeah, you can find Kirsty and me on Twitter at Scavengers Hoard. Until next time, bye! bye. Thank
1: you! Bye!